Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, it's Chickie Fitzgerald, and this show today is a really special one for me because Mike Moyer and I uh, were actually introduced two years ago by one of my advisors, and we have been uh, kind of bumping into each other on a number of different online sites, and we've had some, some conversations via email, and I am just delighted to be able to have him on the show today. Mike is the author of a book called Slicing Pie, and uh, we're going to be talking today about a, a practical tool that he has also written called the Slicing Pie Handbook, Perfectly Fair Equity Splits for Bootstrap Startups. Mike, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it is truly my pleasure, and as I had mentioned to you before we got on the air today, I uh, am in the midst of having a number of different discussions with folks who are helping me build my current, uh, and I, I don't even like to call it a startup because we've, we've already been around for, for two or three years, but we're entering into a new phase where uh, we're bringing some new folks in, and, and I have purchased copies of your book and sent it to them, so I'm also a customer. <laughs> Good. Thank you very uh, much. So, Mike, before we dive into talking about the book, I, I'd really like for you to share with our listeners your personal story and and what got you to actually put this in writing to begin with. Well, um, I've been an entrepreneur most of my career. I started my first company while I was still in college, uh, making T-shirts and um, light manufacturing of outdoor clothing. And... Um, from there, I went on to I sold that company after I graduated from graduate school, and from there I went on to do startup stuff, internal startup stuff, and joined venture programs, and uh, went back to business school and started a new technology company. I joined a manufacturing company that manufactured motorhome chassis. So I, I've always been in startups or in sort of a marketing role, management role, in established companies. But throughout that whole process. You know, this whole idea of working with partners and investors was always something that was important uh, as I worked with partners and investors and, and hired employees. The equity split was always always a sort of elusive problem that never felt very comfortable to me. That's how I kind of came across uh, writing the books. And I, I always wanted to write and teach, and that's what I'm doing today. So that's I think, a big part of that. Well, you're a great communicator of something that really is a very, very complex uh, or can be a complex situation uh, between individuals. And this is not my first uh, early stage company either. And and my first business, I went in, you know, I made all of the classic mistakes and, and right. uh <laughs> You know, I bootstrapped it for as long as I could. Then I brought in a partner, and she and I split the company 50-50, you know, mistake 101. And then, uh, you know, as we were bringing other people on, I, I just did not have a handle on this. And I'm, I'm really good at bootstrapping, but this whole thing about perfectly fair equity splits, um, you know, there just didn't seem to be anything perfectly fair about it. So your first book came out in 2012, and, and this is the one where you talked about how do you fund 
your company without funds. And I, I know you you kind of lurk around on on the uh, founder dating site, and they've got a new name now. But this seems to be the question every single day. You know, I, I've got this great idea. Or, you know, I'm a technologist and I've got, you know, this thing that I've built and I want to see if I can monetize it. So that that seems to be, uh, or those two situations seem to be the two places where people come from. And then they're trying to build on whatever it is they have. And so they've got to find other people who have what they don't have. <laughs> and then figuring out what all of that is worth is uh, is pretty crazy. So why don't we just jump right in Um and, and so, Mike, when when you went to to business school, did you have an interest in this whole thing of of the the equity splits and how companies were doing it today? And and did you observe things that weren't wor- working well? What what actually was the catalyst for you? Yes, I, when, I went back, when I went back to business school, I actually started a company during school, and I asked a lot of my professors and advisors and lawyers and people that I knew about this problem. And all of their answers were the same. It was it depends on this and depends on that, <laughs> but how experienced they are and what the, the future value is going to be and the financial projections. And it just struck me that it has to be a better way than this. It can't just be so much about guessing. It's about financial projections and the future and what people say they're going to do and what quote unquote value they bring to the table. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And you know, over the years, I've I've learned that this is just an area of business that is just a blind spot for a lot of people. And the conventional thinking, which is rules of thumb and financial projections and potential value, is just plain wrong. And every time you do what's called a fixed split, you wind up getting yourself into trouble. And a fixed split is when you dole out chunks of equity during or, or the outset of a venture in fixed chunks to individuals. And the only thing you can do after that is renegotiate the split. So as things change, and they always change, you have to renegotiate and renegotiate and renegotiate. And so the classic problem you, you encounter, and many people do, is because I have no answers here, I'll just go in 50-50 because that smells right. And the problem is you do all the work and I don't, and I own half your company, so you've got to renegotiate and get it back for me. Right. And I knew there needed to be a sort of a logical framework to do this, and one just did not exist. Right, and you know the interesting thing about that one, and and you you address this in your chapter called "Fix and Fight," and in in my first uh, venture, which ended in what I call my spectacular failure, the founder, the co-founder that I had in the business, she and I actually put in equal amounts of money, which is where the fifty-fifty uh, originated, right. of course, and and we really we were funding the company jointly, um, but. The the flaw in that formula occurred when she decided that she was going to go literally climb Mount Everest. And so she was training. She lived in New York. The company was in Tampa. You know, she ended up, uh, you know, spending almost a month going over uh, and, and doing the climb. And then she uh, got sick after she came back and, and uh, had a death in the family. And so, you know, just all kinds of things happened, right? Life happens. Um, but but this is where the whole uh, the amount of time that was being devoted, the money may have been fair, but the time definitely was not. And again, it wasn't it wasn't something that she said she was going to sit back and eat bonbons. You know, I mean that wasn't the case. Um, but just again, life happened. So introduce us to why the pie is the right metaphor, and um, to the slicing pie principle. 
Well, the slicing pie, you know, slice of the pie is concept has been around for a while in terms of the, the, the metaphor. But the, the basic premise behind it is, I think it would start off as a gamble, like blackjack. Do you know how to play blackjack? Oh, yes. So let's say you and I were good friends, and we just had to start to go to go play blackjack together. And we're going to split the winnings 50-50 because we're buddies. And we go to Las Vegas, and we each put a dollar on the same hand of blackjack, and we're betting together, not against each other. So we don't know if we're going to win. We don't know how much we're going to win. We don't know when we're going to win. All we know is that we split it 50-50, and we each bet a dollar. So the dealer deals the first hand. It's two aces. What do we do with those aces? Split them. Split them and double down. That's, that's the right call, so we agree to do that. But I'm out of money, and you're not, so you put two more dollars down. So we still don't know if we're going to win. We don't know how much we're going to win. What we do know is that you bet $3, and I only bet a dollar. Now, 50-50 doesn't sound fair anymore, does it? No. <laughs> so and I have a contract in place that says, says 50-50, and I can sue you and probably win, but it still doesn't make it fair. Right? Correct. So it should be a 25-75 split. So we don't know the future. The future is always unknown. We don't know how much value is going to create, how much that's going to pay off, when it's going to pay off, if it's going to pay off. All we know is what we can see on the table, which is our bets. Startups are exactly the same thing. When you contribute to a startup, you're essentially betting on the future outcome of that company in terms of profits or proceeds of a sale. And your bet is always equal to the fair market value of the contribution you make. And everything has a fair market value. So your time has a fair market value, which is your salary. Your money has a fair market value. Your equipment, your supplies, your relationships, everything has a fair market value. So all you do is observe the fair market value of what's been bet, and that will always give you your equity split. When you think about it in those terms, it's 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 easy to see why the fixed split model doesn't work. Right. And and so then you've got the allocation framework, which is how you look at things moving forward. Right. So in slicing pie, you know, equity and ownership and startup companies is a kind of a meaningless concept. We give it a lot of sort of social value, but it doesn't really mean anything because there's no financial benefit to it. There's no profits. There's no dividends being paid. The company's not selling, so there's no proceeds of a sale. There's rarely any real control issues because usually one or two people are in control anyway. So it's, equity is sort of this meaningless thing. When the company breaks even, that's when it starts meaning something. So at break-even or Series A investment, when people start getting, start getting paid and are no longer making bets, that's when the bets start paying out. And that's when equity ownership makes a difference because dividends are being paid or could be being paid. Right. <clears throat> so we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, in my own situation, in my first venture, uh, you know, we had the cash contributions and then non-cash contributions. And, and, you know, I always chuckle when you talk about salary because it's like, oh, wait a minute, was I supposed to be taking a salary? No. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and again, figuring out what, what individuals' time is worth is something I'd, I'd like to talk about as we're talking about the non-cash contributions because time is probably the most contentious of all. Yeah, salary is one of the things that people, startups overlook all the time. All the time I get people calling me and saying, hey, my company is profitable but they're not taking a salary. <laughs> so you're not profitable until you're taking a salary. Um, exactly. So people often overlook that. And if you're not taking a salary, that means you're betting your salary. And a salary is what you would be paid by somebody else for similar work. So if I hired you to do whatever it is that you do, and I just paid you 100% of your salary, you wouldn't expect any equity whatsoever because you're made whole. In fact, I got guys mm -hmm. who work for me. 
I pay them their fair market salary, and they don't even expect any equity. They know what I do. They know my business. They know I'm a startup guy and the model. But they, I pay them their full market salary, so they don't, I don't give them any equity. Um, in fact, if you want to start a company and fund the whole thing yourself and pay everybody, you shouldn't feel like you have to give any equity whatsoever. But if you're not taking a salary, that means you're betting your salary. Right. And for a startup, you know, startups are very low-responsibility businesses. There's no employees. There's no budget. There's no revenue. There's no customers. You know, so it's a very low-responsibility business. So your salaries aren't going to be huge. So if you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you can make a million dollars a year. Your startup salary is going to be more in line with what a startup would pay in the level of responsibility. So, you know, an experienced startup founder would make, you know, $100,000, $200,000 a year tops. Right. Uh, where they might be able to make more money somewhere else. So, you'll, oh, people clearly. might get make more money with their equity split, but your salary is what you could you would be paid by someone for your for your work on the fair market. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to think about your company in terms of a real company. A startup, for some reason, they 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 they, they cloud everything with, with confusing conversations. If you're going to work for me, there's a job description, there's a requirement, and there's an expected salary that I'll pay if I can pay it. If I can't pay it, then I'll give you slices. If I can't pay it, I'll give you cash. Right. And and so how do you suggest communicating? I mean, uh, is what I'm doing the right thing of actually sending people the book and saying, this is how we're going to discuss this, and these are the terms that we're going to use? Yes, I've written several books on this topic, as you know. Slicing pie, the first thing I did was I published a white paper in 2010. Um, and then I published a book called Slicing Pie, which is quite popular. It's been translated into eight different languages all over the world. And over the years, I got better and better at describing how it works. Um, so I wrote another book called The Slicing Pie Handbook. And it's the same model as described in Slicing Pie. It just describes it a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the the tool is what I call a universal one-size-fits-all solution. That means anybody anywhere in the world can use it as it's written. In fact, any changes people make to the model make it less fair. You know, you, you wouldn't go to you wouldn't go to Las Vegas and bet on blackjack and change the rules every time you play blackjack. Correct. So um, the model is sort of what it is what it is, and it's the probably the most common practice for people to do it is once they get on board with it, and get their head around it they use the book as sort of a reference. And the attorneys have written different contracts to implement either an operating agreement or a standalone agreement um, rules that help the the model comply with local tax laws. Mike, after you talk about uh, the difference between cash and non-cash contributions um, in in the book, you talk about a, a recovery framework. Share a little bit about that with me. Right. This is this is a this is a part of the magic that makes this thing work. My first iteration of this program was when I started a company about ten years ago, and I was allocating equity based on the fair, fair market value of contributions, but I wasn't accounting for the difference between cash and non-cash, and I didn't have any uh, any consequences for departure when someone left the company. So what I mean by that is, if I pay you if if you if I pay you a hundred dollars an hour to work for me. And you want to buy something that costs a hundred dollars, it would take you more than an hour to earn enough money to buy that thing. Because when I paid you, I'd pay employment taxes. Right. When you receive the money, you pay income taxes. And when you bought the thing, you pay sales tax. So it might take you actually two hours to earn enough money to buy that one thing. So plus cash is more because a non cash contribution does not require cash out of pocket. 
it's a it, it's it's calculated at pre-tax dollars. Plus, money is more scarce, so we got to align money properly. So I use what's called a multiplier or a normalizer, and the normalizer smooths this out. So I use the concept of a slice, and the slice is a fictional unit of at-risk contribution, kind of like a poker chip. Mm-hmm. So for every dollar in non-cash contribution, which would be time or ideas or relationships, you would get two slices in the pie. You'd be contributing two slices to the pie. Every dollar in cash, you'd be contributing four slices to the pie. That gives people incentive not to spend cash, and also gives people to incentive to p- contribute cash. So one of the problems in a 50-50 model, and when I, when I was a, the first company I started, I had the majority shareholder, so everyone expected me to cover all my expense, all the expenses, cover their travel, right. all that kind of stuff. So there's no incentive for anyone to put in cash with other multipliers. So I wound up taking all my money that I had. So what it really plays in is is, is the recovery framework. There's four reasons why someone can be separated from a company. The first one is they can be fired for good reason. This means they didn't do their job, they got a couple of warnings, they didn't do their job. I call it warning, warning, fired. Or they had some you know, gross negligence or misconduct, they brought a gun to work, for instance. They can also be fired for no good reason, meaning I just want to fire you for whatever the hell I want to. You can also resign for good reason. Resigning for good reason means the job changed in such a way that it's no longer what you signed up for. So I could say, hey, chick, you're moving the company to Seattle. Pack your bags and move to Seattle. That's not what you signed up for. Or I could say, you are, you are the VP of marketing. Now you're going to make hamburgers. It wasn't what you signed up for. That's a good reason to leave. The last one is leaving for no good reason, which is your own personal reasons. I want to go climb Mount Everest. I want to get a better job somewhere else. So if you're fired for good reason or you resign for no good reason, you as the employer are making decisions that negatively impact the future of the company. If you're fired for no good reason or you resign for good reason, that means the company has made decisions that negatively impact your future. Mm-hmm. So each party deserves protection. So in slicing pie, if you resign for if you resign for no good reason or you get fired for good reason, you lose your slices in the pie for non cash contributions. And cash contributions lose the multiplier. That means you put a thousand dollars cash in. I got to give you a thousand dollars cash back, and we part ways. Right. On the flip side of the coin, if you resign for good reason or get fired for no good reason, you keep your slices in the pie, and I got to buy them back for a dollar a slice. So if you put a thousand bucks in, I got to give you four thousand dollars to let you go. It hurts to lose an employee under those circumstances, as it should. You want an employer to think twice before they fire you. And it hurts as an employee to leave under those circumstances as well because you want to think you want the employee to think twice before they slack off or quit. So slicing by has protection in the back end for people who leave the company. So a good example once was the, a woman called me a few months ago who had been working for two months for a slicing pie company. Her fair market salary was sixty thousand dollars a year, five thousand dollars a month. So she earned ten thousand slices in that pie. Five thousand dollars a month times two. Right. She got in a fight with her boss at a company meeting, and he fired her on the spot. So without the warnings, it's called it's termination without cause. So she was entitled to uh, 20,000 slices in that pie or a buyout of $20,000. And he didn't want to pay her, and I don't blame him. She wasn't doing her job. But he should have thought twice before he fired her. He should have right. given her a warning so she correct her behavior. It's not fair to have an employee come on board and just fire him for no reason. So the multipliers in the framework uh, and the recovery framework create the teeth necessary to protect each party from the other one's decisions. Right. So uh, 
I, I have a, a question as as a, you know a company that has had an operating agreement in place for some time that that doesn't take into account this framework. Uh, looks like my homework is I've got to retrofit my operating agreement. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a chapter book called Retrofits, and most companies in the situation, they, they've gone down the path, they realize they've kind of screwed things up. And a retrofit helps them determine how many slices are actually in the pie, and how many people each one deserves, how many each one person deserves. And when you have a, a what I call a fat grunt, which is someone who has more than they deserve, or a skinny grunt, someone who has less than they deserve, when you present the numbers, it's kind of hard to argue. So if I if I'm sitting in blackjack and I see three dollars of yours and one dollar of mine, it's difficult for me to argue that I should get fifty percent, even though we agreed to it. So the retrofit exercise helps you. Um, kind of reconcile where you, where you should be and adjust the slices. Now, the contracts can be adjusted in a number of different ways. LLCs have a lot of flexibility for the allocation and recovery of equity, I mean, for the allocation of shares and, and profit interests. Right. Um, C-Corps are a little more set and are a little more fixed. Um, and in the C-Corp, you use slicing pie as a vesting agreement. So it's at break-even, uh, the shares would vest according to slicing pie rules. So we jumped over a couple of uh, concepts I want to make sure that we touch on. Um, we talked, uh, we didn't talk about freezing the pie. Uh, we talked about the recovery framework, but but what about freezing the pie? Freezing the pie is a natural occurrence with the pie. So when you're not getting paid, you're betting your salary. When you are getting paid, you're not betting your salary. So as the company starts generating revenue, they can start paying all or part of someone's salary. So every hour that goes by, my number of slices I contribute goes down because I'm touching my salary. When I'm being paid 100%, I'm no longer making any bets, and the pie naturally stops allocating slices. At that point, you'd freeze the, the, your, your revenues are exceeding your expenses, and you're generating profits. At that point, the pie freezes, and that determines your split. So like in the Blackjack example, if we win after the second hand, we would split at 25-75 because we would no longer be making any bets. Got it. The other situation is when someone raises a Series A round of investment. In my opinion, a Series A is a amount of money that will meet your needs in the foreseeable future, which includes your salaries and your rents and your expenses. So at that point, the slices are no longer being allocated and it naturally freezes, but you're diluted down by the investment at the same time. And Mike, so when, when you are going to raise external money and, and you're dealing with, and, and whether it's an angel, whether it's a, a VC or you're you're uh, able to uh, attract private equity, what do you do? Uh, how do you communicate? Again, is it as simple as giving them a, co a copy of the book and hopefully the operating agreement is is uh, properly reflects this kind of an agreement? Because it, it certainly is not uh, conventional. Uh, the cap table. Um, you know, isn't going to look like a normal cap table. Well, it, it, it won't look normal because it'll be better than normal. What a Series A investor wants is a clean, conflict-free cap table with minimal uh, absence of owners. And that's exactly what slicing pie delivers. They shouldn't care how you got there. What they want to see is what the percentages and allocations are at any given time. So you don't have to have a discussion at all about slicing pie with your VC because they're interested in what the current cap table looks like, and you show that to them at any given time. And what they'll know, what you can promise them, is that everyone gets exactly what they deserve. There's no disputes. There's no arguments. There's no debt equity. 
there's no absent owners, they don't like the company, so it's a, it's a nice clean cap table. You can also show them the records of how you got there, which is, which is very logical. So it's a, it's really a wonderful tool for raising Series A money because it delivers exactly what's promised. An ugly cap table full of debt equity and fighting fighting founders uh, can destroy a deal. Yes. If it's an angel investor, again, you don't necessarily have to have the conversation with them. Um, you can simply take a convertible note, which is a fair market value, or fair market fair market for angel investment is usually convertible notes that are convertible at Series A. So again, you can avoid the discussion about the slice and pie. In some cases, an angel that's working with the company, you might want to include them in the pie. You can do what I call an angel a slice and pie loan. So an angel investor make a small loan to you that you would pay off with an interest rate. If you skip the payment, that would convert to slices. So an angel investor that's close to the company, you would include in the pie. An angel investor that's arm's length, you would give a convertible note. And a Series A investor, you would just give the clean cap table to them. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you'll find very common among startup attorneys is that they deal a lot with founder disputes. It's a very common problem to have to unwind equity splits. Since 2010, since I've introducing this concept to the world, I have yet to hear a single successful founder dispute based on slicing pie. And I've had people implement all over the world. So it, it, it basically eliminates the problem of founder disputes. That's fabulous. So what are the objections, though? One of the most common objections, people's first glance at it, um, they, they're concerned about taxes and legal issues. And slicing pie faces the same tax issues and legal issues as any other company. In reality, all equity splits are dynamic. They all change over time because you put an equity split in place, then you fight about it later and renegotiate it and change it later, and you bring someone else in and change it again and again and again. The only difference is Lexify gives you a logical, fair framework for making that change. So in most cases, uh, once people get their head around it, they see that uh, the legal issues are um, are really not that important, not that significant. Mm-hmm. The other issue that people often have a problem with is the idea of tracking their time. And there's two there's two complaints with that. The first one is they don't want to track their time, and I don't blame them. I don't like to track it either. But you can always track it in the level of granularity that makes sense. I can track by day or week or month or year even. Um, so as long as the, the team's comfortable with the time tracking intervals, it can be relatively painless. Right. Plus, if you want to know why your company's at where it is, look at your time records. The other thing is this notion of that that time spent is not necessarily equivalent to value added. Well, that was going to be my next question, Mike, because I've just run into this with one of my developers who took uh, almost three months to deliver something that should have been a five- or six-day engagement. He wanted value, and and again, we weren't talking about equity. We were talking about cash, but he was wanting the the amount of money that was equivalent to the time spent, and I said, well, I didn't agree to pay you to learn how to do these things that you haven't been able to do. Right. So, uh, you know, I would think in in the granting of slices, the same thing is going to occur that just because it takes you, you know, 10 days to do something that I could do in one doesn't make that worth 10 X to me. And that's the that's the beauty of slicing pie, because if I come on board and I'm working for you and I take 15 hours to design a logo, it should take me two hours to design, for instance. That's a concern. That's a warning. If you continue to take this much time, that's that's warning number one. So you're paid in slices regardless. And the next time you take too long to finish a task, you get warning number two. 
and the third time you get fired and you lose your license. So the company's protected that bad in that case. So mm-hmm. if you're not a productive employee, you would get fired eventually and no longer work for the company. In the same manner as your development guy, you might pay him the cash, but you wouldn't hire him again, would you? Right, correct. So in a real job, it would be unbelievably stressful to get paid based on productivity. So every week you go into your boss and your boss would say, okay, we'll look what you did this week and pay you accordingly. Because some days you've got to check email. Some days you've got to put out fires. Some days you've got to create a great strategy document. Right. And one day in the shower you might have a game-changing idea. So when you're working for a real job, your salary encapsulates the value you bring to the table, or it should. Productive employees are given raises. Unproductive employees are, are fired. So if you have an unproductive employee, it's not really a slicing pie issue. It's a management issue, and you can provide the proper warnings and fire that person. So in the case you just described, you would sit down with the person. That person would get the slices for their time because that's what you agreed to, but you'd also right. provide a warning so you should be more efficient with your time. And they continue to drag their feet, they'd eventually get fired, and you'd get their slices back so you'd be protected against that. Well, Mike, this has just been really amazing. And you've got, again, so many practical tools. You've got formulas, uh, you know, again, that are very, very simple to understand. Um, I, I'm actually holding in my hand another book that we didn't talk about, which is just a, a small guide called uh, Fair and Square. And, again, perfect perfect equity splits for startups. And uh, this, this little guide, uh, you know, kind of distills down a lot of what's in, uh, you know, the original book and also uh, in the Slicing Pie Handbook. Mike, if someone wanted to, to, uh, to get in touch with you, uh, you know, tell us, tell us kind of what your day job is now. Do people hire you on a consulting basis to come and uh, help yes. them? Or what is, what is it that you do in your day job? Well, I'm an angel investor and a professor of entrepreneurship at several colleges, and I spend a lot of time helping people implement slicing pie. My 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 goal in life is that every entrepreneur on the planet uses slicing pie as their bootstrap in their company. I believe to my core that any model outside of the slicing pie model is bound to run into problems, and I've seen it over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, so I have you know books and videos and contracts and I even have a Slicing Pie game, all at SlicingPie.com. Um, all the content can be consumed for free. Um, you can, of course, buy the books if you want to, or you can hire me to just do a phone consultation with you, which I do, I do two or three of those a day. Um, you can buy contracts and download contracts from people, different countries and different journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I see your books also in Chinese. That, yeah, books that's... from Chinese and Spanish and Portuguese and Dutch, and Dutch even, Western. yeah, wow. Well, very cool. So so what is the best way, I'm sorry, for them to reach you? Slicingpie.com is everything they need to know, and they can get in touch with me as well. All right, perfect. Well, Mike, I thank you so much for sharing this. And, uh, again, I am, I am looking forward to this venture uh, being fair and equitable for all. And, and we're those people who, who come in and actually are productive and, and where everything turns out wonderfully that, that everybody gets a, a piece of a very big pie. That'd be awesome. I really appreciate giving the opportunity to talk about it, and I appreciate your support. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. Take You're care. Welcome. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Thank you.